Well, 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 well. The Good Samaritan, eh? Probably one of the best known stories in the Bible. You know, there are people who actually think this was a real event, not a teaching of Jesus. This parable has through the years managed to change the meaning of the word Samaritan. Take, for example, you know, organisations called the Samaritans or Samaritan's Purse that we participate on, to participate in, in the, the boxes at Christmas. Their task is to help those who need it. I wonder if you've ever been called a good Samaritan when you've given somebody a hand. You know, in Jesus' day, no self-respecting Jewish person would have thought that this was anywhere near a compliment. In fact, they thought the opposite. This parable is introducing one of Jesus' most radical teachings. You see, things weren't much different then than they are now. The only difference is that instead of the major divide being between, say, Christians and secularism or Protestant and Catholic, it was between Jew and Gentile, or even worse, Jew and Samaritan. For the Jews of, of, in Jesus' time, the Samaritans were deeply despised people. It still goes on today, with the people of Israel and Palestine both claiming to be the true inheritors of the promise of Abraham and Moses, and consequently both claim to be the rightful owners of the land in and around Israel. What this parable is really about is the nature of love. The account, though, begins with an expert in the law posing the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds like a typical rabbinic question on the surface. That is, unless you didn't know that how often such experts had tried to trap Jesus with what seemed to sound like innocent questions. But Jesus wasn't going to be caught out quite as easy as that. Instead, he turns the question back on the questioner. He asks, what does the scripture say? What does your reading of the law tell you? Well, the lawyer, of course, knows his stuff. He quickly replies with the orthodox response. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. Jesus says to him that he's found the answer, the secret to eternal life. Do this. Do this and you will live. Doesn't sound very radical, does it? Well, that's because we haven't heard the whole story. But before we go on, it is worth taking a moment on the fact that this lawyer knew the question, sorry, knew the answer before he asked the question. How often do we ask this sort of question? Not because we want to know the answer, but because it puts off us having to do something about it. 
This is one of the problems with with their Pharisees. They debate the meaning of the law for hours, hours on end. And they'd narrow it down, they'd narrow the interpretation down of various laws until they had it very neatly defined. Jesus regularly criticised them for their concentration on the fine detail while ignoring the more important requirement of obedience to God. And that's what this man seems to be doing here. What he wants is a debate with Jesus about the meaning of life. But what he gets is nothing like it. Jesus' response, you see, comes down, sorry, comes not from his desire to convince him intellectually, but from a pastoral response to see his life changed. He He says simply, do this and you will live. That is, stop debating and start practising. That isn't good enough for the lawyer. Surprise, surprise, lawyers haven't changed much, have they? So the lawyer, he doesn't want to be told how to live. And he certainly doesn't want to look stupid in front of his peers. So we're told he asked Jesus to justify himself. He understands the implications of Jesus' short statement to go and do it. He realises that Jesus' answer is an implied criticism of his love of debate rather than action. But his world is debating. He isn't going to be put off that easy. So he seeks to justify himself by asking for further clarification on this very simple command. It is a time-honoured method of delaying action. He says smugly, and who is my neighbour? We all do it at different times, don't we? We all feel a little uncomfortable with a command like this because it seems so hard. So we shift the focus from action to question. You see... If we can't clarify who is the object of this love, then we don't have to do it. But Jesus isn't going to let us get away with that. He has a simple answer to this question as well. But this time it comes in the form of a story. He tells the story of a man, a Jewish man, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a hazardous journey a notorious place for bandits to attack, and that's exactly what happens. Well, we know the story. The Jewish man is left half dead on the side of the road. Two temple officials um, bypass him and it is left to a much-hated Samaritan to care for the Jewish man. Jesus finishes with the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The answer is, the one who showed him mercy. Now, let me me suggest that Jesus removes two common excuses for for love in this parable, and then in fact turns the whole question itself on its head. Firstly, some people read the law of love in in a reverse sense. That is, 
If I don't hurt anybody by what I do, then it is as good as loving them. No doubt that would have been the response of the priest and the Levite in the story. I mean, it would have been foolish for them to stop. I mean, there wasn't much they could do for him anyway. I mean, he was already half dead. And if they stopped, they'd risk being attacked the same way themselves. Besides which, it would be against the Jewish law for them to go near him if he were dead already. I mean, it would make them unclean, unfit, unfit to do their duties in the temple. Besides that, the law didn't actually require them to do anything about him as long as, long as they didn't add to his hurt. And the second way we tend to limit the way we love is to think of our neighbour as restricted to a certain group. It might be geographic. It might be religious. It might be ethnic, ethnicity or cultural. We might decide that God helps those who help themselves. So that's all we have to help. That's a common excuse for not showing love to the socially disadvantaged. I'm sure you've heard there are plenty of jobs out there for those who really want them. All they have to do is get off their backsides and go looking for one. That's putting everybody who is disadvantaged in the same category as what we might call, for lack of a better word, a doll bludger. That way, we don't have to worry about them. No doubt the lawyer in the story would have limited the idea of neighbour to those of Jewish descent. But Jesus turns that on its head. He makes this hated Samaritan the hero. He shows that neighbourly love is nothing to do with culture or in ethnicity. Rather, it depends on mercy and care shown by someone in need, irrespective of the person. All the Samaritan sees is someone in need of care. But, but Jesus' sting in the parable is the way he asks the question at the end. Notice how he subtly turns the question around from who is my neighbour to who acted as a neighbour to the man indeed. It's a double-edged sword. It shows up the hypocrisy of those who want their love to be restricted to their own social or ethnic group. But also, the one that acted as a neighbour is from a group. The lawyer despised. And he's the one that shows up the lawyer. The lawyer can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan, does he? He can't say, can't even say the word Samaritan. He has to say the one who showed mercy. You see, the point of this parable is not to clarify who we're to love. It's saying stop trying to clarify or to justify. Just start being a neighbour to others. Why? 
because being someone's neighbour implies loving them. What is at stake then and now is the question on whether we will use the God-given revelation of love and grace as a way of boosting our own sense of isolated security or purity or whether we see it as a call and challenge to extend that love and grace to the whole world. Jesus' challenge to the lawyer is to go and do it. To a large extent, this is meant as a challenge to his self-satisfaction, his self-reliance. No one, no one then nor now can actually fulfil the commandment. That's the point. Remember, the first question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not who is my neighbour. In the end, eternal life is won through Jesus Christ. We receive it only by grace, through faith in what Jesus did, not what we do. But, and as I always say, there's always a button at the end of my sermons, but having received that grace, the challenge remains. The challenge remains to go and do likewise, to love your neighbour, as much as you love yourself. Amen.